The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. Trauma. It's a trigger word for many. A complicated, tangled, and terrifying jumble of memories and experiences that leave scars, both physical and mental. It's also a topic often written about within the horror genre. Movies like The Silence of the Lambs, Jacob's Ladder, and, more recently, David Gordon Green's installments of the Halloween franchise are movies whose protagonists live and make life decisions based on the trauma they experienced in their younger days. Books like Gerald's Game, The Final Girl's Support Group, and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein put trauma and its many effects under the microscope. But if trauma is so painful, then why does it continually pop up within genre fiction? Is it possible that writing about personal trauma can have cathartic effects? Could watching movies and reading books that focus on these horrible and horrific events be a sort of therapy? Modern-day psychology seems to think so, and so do many of the horror fans I rub shoulders with. I've always said that horror tends to be one of the most honest genres. And part of being honest means coming face to face with pure darkness and evil. But sometimes, facing and naming our monsters gives us the hope that they can be defeated. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, we're discussing what it's like revisiting trauma through stories. I'll be interviewing fellow horror author and one of the first people I met on Bookstagram, Michael Benavides. Join us, dear listeners, as we discuss some of the toughest parts about writing, but also the healing that can take place. Well, Michael, welcome. How you doing today? Hello, Thomas. Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty good, pretty good. Um, nervous. I haven't revisited this book in forever, so it's kind of exciting to see what I remember about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think being nervous is is fairly common. I'm even a little nervous whenever I, <laughs> I start these things. Um, but I, I think once we jump into things, those nerves will go away. And this this topic, man, I, you know, I always I give guests who come on. I give give you all the opportunity to pick these topics. And you went right for the jugular. <laughs> it, it, it's just like, let's get into, let's jump right into the deep end. And so I just want to start off by asking you, why did you pick this particular topic of, of all the topics you could have picked? 
mostly because it personifies what I've been writing, at least <clears throat> as far as like up to that, that point, I had been writing nothing but the trauma. Mm. However, it was with that, with as the shadows grow that I realized I was um, doing more than just writing it out. I was growing <clears throat> into someone that I felt I could be happy with. And it, it kind of opened my eyes to like, oh, okay, this is when I don't have, I can't afford therapy. I have this. And, you know, and if you can afford therapy, go to therapy, always, always go to therapy, right. but I can't. So, you know, this, this was that for me, especially after a long stretch of five to six years of um, a very unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. And you've, you've always been someone who is pretty open about your yeah. past, about, about your, your, your weaknesses, your struggles, and also, you know, your wins and how you've overcome some of those things and even how other people have helped in that. And, and it's just, it's really cool to see. So when you, when you pick this topic, I knew it wasn't going to be something where, you know, you pick this, this, this discussion that has such depths, and then we're just going to sort of, you know, go along the the surface. I, I knew that in talking to you that we could get into this stuff because I've heard the way that you talk about it. And then when I read you know, at the time when I first reached out to you and asked you to come on and you chose this topic, I hadn't yet read your book. And then when I read your book and especially the author's note, which we'll talk about a little more in depth oh. <laughs> later, I was just like, okay, this conversation is going to be great. This conversation is going to hopefully be able to, uh, an, an opportunity to build on the discussion that I had with Haley Newland all the way in, in episode two of this podcast. And so, yeah, man, I, 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 I thank you for picking this topic and I'm just, I'm really looking forward to, to what we're going to dig into because I, I think that it can be, it's going to be helpful for us just talking about it. But I also think that for listeners listening to this, that they are going to take little, little tidbits from what we discuss and, and, and hopefully apply them to their own lives and, and, and gain some wins and maybe just in the meantime, gain some hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, for sure. And when I, <clears throat> when I first heard the, the interview with Haley Newland, like I was, I was thrown, thrown away. It's like, Oh, I know this feeling. I know what she's talking about. And I was a bit like, Oh crap, I'm just going to reiterate. But you know, as I've continued writing some more and I've, you know, there's, there's never enough trauma in the world to, con to keep writing about. I started thinking it's like, Oh no, I, hopefully I can bring a different, uh, same coin, different side of it. Um, as far as per perspectives go. Yeah, for sure. And we all have different experiences. And sometimes at the core, the the emotions that are involved might be very similar. But the things that we face and and our 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 past experiences and the way that we deal with them are all going to be different. So, I, you know, I'm a big believer that the the more that we talk about this type of subject, from many different angles, many different perspectives, it is going to cover more ground. And, and I think that's important, not only for once again, like we're talking about, if we're wanting to heal from these things and face these things, but also I think it's helpful from a, a perspective of just empathy you know, hearing other people's stories, knowing where they're coming from and being able to empathize with them. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the times it goes back to that, that old adage that 
hurting people hurt people. And so sometimes somebody might be lashing out or acting a certain way and we have a snap judgment and we assume all of these things like, oh, they're just an asshole. Oh, they're just a jerk. Oh, they're just selfish without pausing to think of why are they acting this way? Why are they lashing out in this way? Is it possibly a call for help? Is it possibly coming from a place of just they they they're overwhelmed and they don't know how to how to act? And and I think that just having that empathy can give us a moment to pause and 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 maybe extend forgiveness, extend mercy, grace, you know, and and have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. And I was definitely that person too, where I was the hurt person hurting more people. I was, um, I think fifth grade, I, I was, I bullied a kid mm. um, because I was, I myself was getting bullied and, you know, it's like, it's not until like you look back on things like, Oh shit, you know, it's like things fucked me up. And then I took it out on other people and I didn't know how to work with, with, with myself or who to turn to and stuff. So hopefully, you know, like being able to acknowledge like what you've done and how you like the things you've done, you know, it can make other people see like, oh, shit, I've this might be me or I've been on the other side of that, you know, and that's kind of just what I've wanted to do with writing in general. It's like there's always so much to talk about and there's always different ways to tell the same stories and stuff like that. So, yeah, 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 for sure. You already you mentioned it a little bit. You touched on it a little bit. And I I, I want to just ask you more pointedly in terms of experiencing catharsis while either writing about it or reading about trauma within the horror genre what what's that been like for you um painful <laughs> mm-hmm. um it, it's a very painful it's a kind of tearing off the scab kind of thing um or picking at the scab but it's one of those things where it's like when i was writing it i didn't really know the first half like I think if I remember correctly, that first half of the book of As the Shadows Grow, I wrote like it, it's kind of all in order. So that first half is just me getting it out there, like getting it out of my system. And then, of course, I revised it and like made it more to who what was ha- happening. And then like it wasn't to that latter half where I was like, oh, I feel lighter. I feel better. It hurt like hell. Right. You know, there were moments in there where I, you know, I broke down a lot. Um I remember, <laughs> I, t- I think I've told this story a lot, but I remember um, doing a back-to-back horror movie marathon um, because I just needed that, that, you know, something fun to watch. I love watching horror for fun, except I made the mistake of watching Hereditary, uh-huh. Midsommar, The Witch, Anni- Annihilation, and Melancholia. And each time I was like, there's no way it can get worse than this. I'm just going to go on to the next one that can make me feel better. And I was a crying, blubbering mess the next day. Like, I think I went to work with like bloodshot eyes and everything. It's like, like, but after, like, after that, like, that hangover day, I was feeling better. It's like, oh, I needed that. I needed that cry. Mm. Wow. And that's kind of the, the feeling that, like, of, like, you know, horror can do that for you. And, you know, there's always different types of horror. And yeah. sometimes you run into it by accident. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, there's there's a whole at this point, there is a subgenre within horror just called grief horror. Yeah. And I discovered it that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The hard way. Right. Just like, wow. Yeah, that's 
it's just like a gut punch and then a hit to the chin. And then it's just like pounding on your skull. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know, like I had no, especially when you go in blind to it. Cause that's, and I've started doing that now. I think because of that night, I started doing that where um, indie books, um, mainstream books, I won't read the blurb. I won't watch the trailers. I go in fully blind because I'm looking for that next, like to feel whatever they're feeling in the moment. So I don't know where it's going next kind of mm-hmm. thing. And yeah. it feels good. It's damn good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've started to do that a little bit more too, because I've noticed that sometimes when I go into a book or a movie with preconceived notions, it will ruin it for me, even though it wasn't necessarily a bad book or movie. For instance, I've, I've talked about this before, but you know, I really, I really love Shirley Jackson's writing. Um, I, I, I think that she's, she's very honest and, and open, but I had a lot of preconceived notions when I went into the, uh, the haunting of Hill house, I'd seen Mike Flanagan's adaption right. of that. And so I went into the book expecting that, you know, ghosts front and center, the horror just like bleeding out of every page. And that book isn't really that. It is much more psychological. But because I wasn't expecting it, because I had all these preconceived notions, I was really bummed out and let down by the book. But I want to go back and reread it uh because i i realized that i allowed my preconceived notions to really just paint a picture that wasn't a true representation of of that book and so that really has led me to there there have been certain movies that for for instance nope i went and saw that i saw the initial trailer and that's it from then on i was like i'm not going to watch any more trailers i'm not going to read anything about this i i love jordan peele i love his writing his way of viewing things you know coming at things from a, a, a slightly different angle and and so i went into that fairly blind and i loved it i loved it and so then after i saw the movie i went back and watched the trailers that they put out the 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 subsequent ones and i was like wow, I'm glad I didn't watch these because I I think that even though the trailers did a good job of subverting expectations, I didn't want to go in with that. Yeah. And the funny thing is I had the same issue where I saw all the hype and lead uh, lead up to get out. And I liked it well enough and it resonated pretty well with me because I came from Minnesota. So there was a lot of those microaggressions. But at the same time, when, when us came out, I saw nothing, I heard nothing, and I liked it. So it, I was really surprised when I found that people were kind of like shitting on it. And yeah, I understand why, but I had a hell of a fun time and I knew nothing about it. And same thing with Shirley Jackson, except I saw The Haunting before, <laughs> before reading the book. So that was my idea of what Flanagan and the book were going to be. And that is, that's, that's a whole different level of like disappointment. <laughs> like, fun horror to actual emotional horror was uh, something I didn't expect to see coming Mm. as far as adaptations went. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that you're, you're also pretty big on telling everybody that you are a reader first and then a writer, you know, reading was, was your, your, your first love. And I, I totally relate to that. So you talked a little bit about, 
the catharsis from writing and the catharsis from watching but do you remember like the first reading experience that you had where maybe trauma um, was front and center on the page and 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 it had a, a cathartic effect on you yeah hellraiser or the hellbound heart mm. uh i read well clive barker in general everyone knows my love for clive barker i collect that man's toys books everything um here to high heaven and everything and i remember i don't remember which if i read hellbound heart first or if i read his books of blood first but there is um in this in the hills the cities okay and yeah. that one like that one just opened up my eyes to what you can portray in like like something that it, it felt like something that should be on the big screen but will never make it on the big screen and, but he made it so vivid and it wasn't just the imagery but it was the emotions and i think that i remember that being the, my very first time experiencing the emotions like the the frightening um, scale of everything to like, like the insanity that that like goes on through that story, and I felt that like I felt that with the with the characters are like oh shit I got to get more of this guy's books, and I feel like he's the first one that really got me to feel along with the characters even if it wasn't stuff that I related to, like I still felt alongside them. And as much as I love King, his was more like popcorn reads. I never felt with the characters yet. Maybe until I got older and understood what King was writing about. Yeah. But Barker was the first one to really put it for me into like words and descriptions in a way that I could understand it. Yeah. And Clive Barker and Chuck Palahniuk, I, I think both of them are very much willing to push boundaries and talk about the things that would be considered taboo um and and really both of them do a lot of genre mixing as well but no matter what they're writing it it seems that love and heartbreak and trauma and and some of the really heavy emotions are always coming out in their writing yeah they are unapologetic about it <laughs> it, it, my, my, my best example is Cold Heart Canyon, where it should be a schlocky read about a haunted A-list mansion in Hollywood. And that thing just goes off the rails. But at the, the entire time you're dealing with obsession, um, with like the, like the boundaries of sex, imageries that like shouldn't work. And then and there's just stuff in there that like first throughout with characters that you feel like he gives you enough time to sit with them and feel the things they're feeling, even though you, you, I don't know what the hell a Hollywood actor like post surgery would feel would be feeling, but I felt it. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty, pretty fun to like sit in those shoes and be like, this is a ride. And there are a lot of emotions going on here. And I don't know, like, I got to take some time, take my time reading it because th there's too many emotions to shift through in just a, in one sitting kind of thing yeah i i haven't read that one i have it on my list i actually it's funny because how i first met you was getting <laughs> invited to that that reading group on instagram and that was the book that y'all had just finished when i came in and so y'all were all just talking about Which it was going nuts i think about my it. pick 
<laughs> it was yours? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was my pick for the month, I think. But that was uh, like, with the help of Glenn, but <laughs> that was really it was about two years ago now. And yeah. still in that group, y'all are talking about and making jokes about peacocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, peacocks and goat boys, they live on forever. And they, that's a, that's a level of trauma I won't ever write about. That's I'll st- I'll leave that in that book. <laughs> that's that's a forever no, no. Well, I will say that all, all of the talk has has definitely <laughs> piqued my interest about it. And I, um, you know, I will I will get around to reading that. <laughs> OK, so. You you've talked a little bit about the, the the fact that your writing is really a form of of therapy. When did you first realize that? Was it with as as the shadows grow, or did you start realizing this even earlier than that? Maybe with some of your other short stories, or maybe with When Angels Fail. Um, the funny thing is because I wrote an introduction for When Angels Fail. Um, which will be hopefully be the re-edits and everything will be out next year. But I wrote a int- new introduction for that one. And in that one, I realized that I was doing it subconsciously, subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And those, those stories are just angry. Like when I went back to look at them, they were just angry and hurt. Like I could tell, like I knew the person I was at that time. And I could see that like I was trying to get something out, but I didn't realize it. It wasn't until as the shadows grow that I really looked at it it's like oh okay there's a story in there dead and loving it and i think that's the one that did it where it's like that final line in that story um had me realize like oh shit uh, this this is me <laughs> this isn't some character i'm writing or like because dead and loving it started off with like eh, it's a funny title i'll make it about necrophilia and then once the story progressed i was like oh fuck like this 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 is um this is a real experience that I experienced kind of thing. Mm. And it was there that like once I once once I had that story done, I had to go back and look at everything else. And it's like, oh, yeah, OK. So I knew I knew the traje- trajectory of where that book was, that collection was going to go from then on out. And it helped, but it hurt at the same time. It's like, do I really want to continue doing this? Just stop it right here, right now, because it is hard. It's not something that you actively want to look forward to doing every night, you know, sitting at a table, writing stuff um, that can possibly like dredge up old wounds. But like once, once the story finished, it was like a huge sigh of relief. And I think that's why it took me so long to finish that one. Cause I was hyping that one up for like two years, mm. give or take. While you were writing that first one, was that, that was that during the time when you were sort of, using your unhealthy ways of self-medicating? Um, so I started the self-medicating when I was about 15, 16. Okay. Um, and then that one spiraled out of control because I used to work at a nursing home where I was working eight, mo- um, eight months straight, no days off, double shifts. <clears throat> and so I needed something to help me up and help me down. And then um, I got clean when I moved um, with moved down here to Texas with my ex. And then that's when I started self-medicating with exercise and gym and just going the unhealthy route. I was eating one meal a day. I was working um, sometimes one to four um, from like 
9 30 to 9 30 to like sometimes four o'clock gym afterwards every day <clears throat> so like i was constantly moving not eating a lot a lot and that was my self-medication there and it wasn't until afterwards that when that whole relationship ended that i started drinking and i did it was um jack daniels like two bottles a week mm. which was like bad bad and then it wasn't until i started writing again that like i was able to let that go wow yeah so like writing became the addiction for for that time and i wrote everything within a six to seven month period today's episode of the into the gloom podcast is brought to you by october blood it's a halloween themed horror anthology full of short stories by indie authors it's available everywhere October 4th, published by Hawkhouse Books. I'm personally very excited for this release, and not just because it's a commemoration of the very spookiest of seasons, but because I've got a story included. Check it out. It's entitled, There Is Rest. But for now, back to the show. Yeah, and you, you know, you you've named a few things here. Whether it's uh, drugs or <clears throat> alcohol or eating or not eating or or working out, those are those are all things that are fairly subjective. You know, they they can be good or they can be bad. And yeah. you're you're stating that the way that you were using them, you feel was unhealthy. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Because um, I was. So like right now I'm fully sober minus um, caffeine, caffeine. And then like the, uh, the occasional like um, thing to help me work out a bit, <clears throat> but I don't do it to the extent that I was mm-hmm. like right now I weigh 200 pounds, which I feel like should be normal for my, my body class. I weighed 125 at my lightest. Oh, wow. And I had, I had abs for a week. That's how bad it got. And it wasn't like working abs. It was like, I'm skinny, skinny abs. Mm. And I was, I've always been a chubby guy. So for me to have gotten down to that point was bad. And, you know, and looking back on it, I was like, I was tired. I was, you know, um, I would get headaches. And I just thought, oh, this, this hotel job's working me too hard. I hate it. I'm going to get out of it soon. And then I moved to Duncan. I still had it because I was still doing the gym habits. And that's where like, oh, shit, I did it again. But with, instead of like, you know, instead of being some, like I turned to exercise because it was healthy. But, um, you know, too much of it. And if you're like, if you're just doing it in the wrong ways, can hurt you. Yeah. Like physically, I think my liver shot, my shoulder shot. I have bad knees. So I did it all bad. <laughs> now yeah. it's a miracle. I'm still I'm, I'm, I'm like a walking Frankenstein because my I need bolt, nuts and bolts to keep me together half the time. <laughs> so, you know, you've talked about a, a lot of those things being unhealthy do you do you feel that either you you ever experienced or that you ever could experience writing as a form of therapy turning unhealthy uh yeah i mean i think everything's good in moderation like while i myself am um completely sober and i won't touch any drugs you know, it's like, I know medical marijuana can be helpful and, and all that stuff. And I think writing is the same way. 
And if like if you just start getting too into it, you kind of lose track of the outside world mm-hmm. a little bit. And like because during those six to seven month periods, I talked to no one. Like I had zero friends. Um, I wasn't <clears throat> well, the first half of that book. Um, I had zero friends, I had no one, and I was lost in my own little worlds, which was, you know, I got to live with myself a bit, which was good, but also I wasn't letting one, anyone else in. So it wasn't until I realized that this was therapy that I was like, oh, okay, this is this can get unhealthy really quick. I'm going to need to either I drown in my sorrows, like through words or liquor or something, but I, I need to get the hell out of there. And after that, when working at Duncan, I started, I made a bunch of friends. I started talking to people. I was outgoing. And so having that balance really helped me out, like right coming home, writing every day after a nice fun day at work where work could be fun was always a nice um, icing on that cake of a day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when it comes to writing or, or really anything in life, I think that it can become unhealthy when we allow whatever that thing might be to become our entire identity like that is who we are um because then you know talking about something like writing you succeed or fail based upon how many books you sell what the feedback is like all of that and that can get unhealthy very very quick and i i think that it can easily lead to destruction and and depression especially for you know, writers like us who are still sort of, you know, learning and, 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 and gaining our muscles and, 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 you know, it's still early in this career, in this process, but if our entire identity is built in it, and then we, you know, we start looking at the Barkers and the Kings of this (laughs) and then comparing ourselves to them and it, it can, yeah, you can go off the rails really quick. And then before long, when that part of your identity, you see that as a failure, I, I, I can see how it would be easy then to start grasping at some of those things that maybe are unhealthy for us, maybe things that we've already know lead to failure, but nah, it's all we knew. And so we're going to go back to that. Yeah. And, I'm, and that's kind of why I've built that person, well, not persona, but like, that's why I am, um, reader first writer second is because a i know like the, you know the, the content that we write as horror writers i don't know what other genres deal with but as horror writers we're in some dark murky shit here like we're always fucking around with some things that like can be hurtful can't like you know they come with some sort of baggage either from us or from the real real world so to like just let ourselves sink into that and let that consume us and become our identity isn't always healthy. Like it, you might, it's just kind of like you're allowing yourself to sit in your depression. And then on top of that, like just knowing that I'm an indie guy, I suck at self-promoting. I rather promote everyone else. I'm not going to be looking at numbers because, or, and then knowing how like close this book is to me, like, I'm not going to look at reviews. I'm not going to look at any like that because it would just be unhealthy to constantly be looking at like every other month, every every other week or whatever, like looking at my sales, nothing. Looking at reviews, nothing. Oh, there's a one-star review. I'm going to like fester in on that one despite the fact, like, like yeah. my at least my mindset <clears throat> where I know I, I like dwell in on the, the like the negative portions of the reviews. Yeah. 
It's like, it's unhealthy. And I can't let myself do that because I'm just going to, that, that'll just become another side of the addiction that I don't need. And I know I have a addictive personality. It's like I latch on to anything that might make me feel good or bad is it's bad. <laughs> yeah. So like, you gotta, gotta know your boundaries. And that's where I set mine up as far as like being a writer, being a reader, being a person. And, you know, it's been working out so far, so far. That's great, though. The fact that you have come to a place where you know yourself and you're honest enough with yourself to admit what your weaknesses are, what your triggers are, what your addictions are. And then, I mean, that that's a big step in and of itself to get to that point. But then to take the next step of actually setting boundaries so that you are being mindful of your your mental health. And that's that's really good. I mean, that that is a lot of the stuff that you you learn in therapy. And like you said, you're at a place right now where maybe you can't afford therapy, but you have found that writing can be that cathartic thing. Writing can be your therapy. And while that might not work for everybody, it sounds like it's it's doing a really good job for you, <laughs> which is great. Oh, and it, it was trial and error. And I couldn't have done it alone. You know, like those people at Duncan, those friends I made, um, shout out to Ebony um, for being my best friend. Like they helped me like we like we would talk we would talk our drama out amongst each other. And I was like, oh, no, don't do that. That's a red flag, Michael. Stay the fuck away from that. It's like, you sure, though? It's like, it's kind of attractive, though. It's like, it's a red flag, Michael. Fuck off. It's like, <laughs> fine, I guess. You know, it's like, because they know me. They know how I am. <clears throat> yeah. Um, red flags look damn sexy. And, you know, it's like sometimes you want some bad in your life, even though, you know, sh- you shouldn't have it. Mm. And you need those friends to tell you, don't be a dumbass. And I've had I had those friends and they would, you know, they helped me through to like, through the trial and errors, something bad would happen. They would poke it out of me. I would tell them. And it was nice to have that vent that wasn't just writing. Like you said, it doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone has like those type of people in their lives or those type of um, like they can't just sit down and write. That's just not for them. So it's all about finding because if I could, I would paint the fuck out of things. And you have that be my outlet. I can't draw for shit. So it's like writing it is. Um, that's why my my writing is so it, like imagery based because I wish I could draw. I wish so bad <laughs> that I could I draw. I feel you, man. I'm <laughs> I'm on that same thing. I love drawing. I wish I was good at it. <laughs> I think I went on a live um, recently with Darling Anachronism, and like she asked me to draw something, so I drew Bomberman, a circle, circle for legs, circle for arms, a circle on a head. It was basically a snowman, and that is the <laughs> most artistic thing I've ever done. <laughs> like it's not fair it really isn't all the while yeah. she's drawing penises on faces and it looks amazing if it's downright horrible at the same time <laughs> oh man a, a couple of weeks ago i gave a little tease online that i was going to be interviewing you and i asked for some listener questions and i got a bunch of them <laughs> so i want to i want to put some of those out there the first one both Jeremy and Sam want to know the favorite short story that you've ever written. I've written. Um, so what is your favorite of your own writing? Um, prototype. It's in As the Shadows Grow. 
it's the only one that does not deal with my trauma. It was the last story I wrote for that that collection. And it was the one that like so- that I felt sounded the most me <clears throat> as far as writing progression. That was the most current portion of me. And it's a short, it's a very short story. It's like about two pages. And but now I'm proud of that one. That one was the very last story I ever wrote for As the Shadows Grow. Wow, that's cool. Yes. Uh, it's funny with short stories because I've also written a lot of short stories and it's interesting. The ones that really stand out and I oftentimes the ones for me that I look back on and view is like, that one's really good. That one is, is my <laughs> favorite or whatever. They tend to be the ones that are a little bit different from the stuff that maybe I'm known for writing or that I normally write. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's, that's cool. And yeah, for it to be a short one too. Like, it, it, I mean, you, you didn't mince words, right? You got out what you needed to write out. <laughs> short stories are hard, especially like the flash fiction style short stories. Like, cause you got to get a whole <clears throat> narrative in there and in and out within like a 500 words, a thousand words. And for anyone that's read my stuff, you know how verbose I can get. Like I've got the thesaurus right next to me and I'm trying <laughs> to like create imagery and stuff. Like I think I may stop rock or some shit, you know? Like I'm I'm out there really trying to pinpoint this is what you should be fucking seeing. And if you're not seeing it, you're reading it wrong <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I get I get that. I I can over explain sometimes and not just in my writing, but even just in conversations with people. Yeah, because one of my greatest fears is being misunderstood. Yeah. And so overwriting, over oversharing, I I do that so that I'm not misunderstood. But what I've come more and more, the, the conviction that I've come to, especially in my writing, is do I want to do that? Do I enjoy when I'm reading something and, and somebody is holding, the author is holding my hand so tightly and leading me along the way that my imagination can be turned off? And I'm like, no. So I'm trying to get better about that. Yeah, I feel that. And, um, and you you can, you know, give descriptions and go in depth and things without the at least I feel sometimes in my writing, I can be a little bit coercive where I'm like, no, this is, how you <laughs> need to this is how you need to think about this. <laughs> and I, I, I think I felt the same way, uh, kind of, <clears throat> and I, I want, I don't know if like, if it's the same for you, but I know that when I was in my healthy relationship, that the reason I over explain and I try my best to really get the point across is because my words would have a habit of getting, um, misunderstood but on purpose like they were twisted kind of thing and i want to leave no room for anything like for any sign of anything to really be misunderstood like i don't want people coming back to me saying oh so you support this bullshit it's like no you read it wrong it's like and i think that's my bigger fear and one that i'm I like 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 you i've been working on trying to be less like that yeah. while also still maintaining my style and I don't know if like if it's the same for other people like that I distinctly know like I write like this because well, a because Clive Barker and a lot of those authors I read are like the old school gothic literature where they love painting that picture, 
but also like mixed in with my life and my experiences where people just love to kind of misinterpret me on purpose. Yeah. And really what you're describing there is it's a trauma response. Like the way that you're mm-hmm. over explaining it, right? It's a trauma ex- response. And, and yeah, I can, I can, I can relate to that because I've been in a lot of healthy, unhealthy relationships in the past and, and the longest one that I was in, it was very much what, what you've described sort of yeah. misinterpreting <clears throat> my words on purpose to sort of, you know, it, it turned into this gotcha game. Yeah. And then if you're, if your reaction isn't the reaction they want, or it doesn't match their reactions, it becomes a bigger thing. So you like, you try your best to really match, um, ma- match your words and match everything to like the atmosphere that you're getting. Which, you know, at, when you're writing, it's really hard because you don't know who's going to pick up the book and read it. Yeah. So, like, you, you set up more fail-safes in your writing to kind of make sure. And, I'm like, I know I said I shouldn't be reading bad reviews, but one of the crit- criticisms I've read is that, like, they don't always know what I'm trying to say. And I think it's because of all those little fail-safes that I've put in there. Like, there's just too much pointing at like neon signs too many neon signs blocking out all the details that i'm trying to put in there and yeah it's it's i'm by doing all that i make people miss the point or i make them miss what i'm trying to say Hmm. and you know it's about finding that balance and i'm still working on it a little bit yeah yeah sometimes we can be our (laughs) own worst enemies (laughs) oh god yes don't i know that one (laughs) okay jamie (laughs) asks what book inspires your writing the most i know that that might be a hard question (laughs) um hold on i i know i got barker on here but i don't know which barker it was it's a barker for sure it's a barker okay i'm honestly i'm gonna go with the magica it's it's a it's his magnum opus one probably rivals weave world but it's there's a lot and when it's like Tolkien meets Stephen King meets Barker once more. It's a road trip through fantasy worlds and just the scope of it, the setups of everything. And then for the payoffs, plus the emotions and that those vividly dark imagery of characters. And yeah, there's just something about it that catches me where it's like, Oh God, I, I, this is a long ass book and I'm getting tired of reading it. But at the same time, I am so deeply enthralled by it because, <clears throat> you know, Barker can be long winded. It's, you yeah. know, with that many words, but at the same time, it's like two pages. This mountain looks fucking beautiful. And I, I want to continue reading what what's after this mountain, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So I'll have to say magic up for sure. All right. Now, Marcus wants to know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're laughing already. <laughs> yeah, I already know him. Yeah, that's yeah, my boo. You, you know he's going to be asking some <laughs> what, what I'm only assuming is goofy shit, some sort of inside joke. <laughs> uh, but first off, because he's got two things here. But the first, oh, off, okay, he wants to know if you fuck with aliens. Uh, 50 50. You know, it's like sci fi's never been my thing, but also it makes it more fun to believe they're out there. Mm. you know it's like it gives life a little bit of taste like oh i'm being watched right now and i'm pissing outdoors this is their first idea of what a person is okay <laughs> okay you know it, it adds a little bit of like i shouldn't be doing this someone might be watching it ain't god it might be aliens you know 
So I don't know. It, it's a 50 50. Depends on my mood. OK. OK. He also wants <laughs> to know how Ramon is. Oh, so we have a turtle, a huge box ass turtle. And he weighs heavier than a 25 pound plate. Like he's he, uh, damn. I'm trying to think. Oh, actually, you've seen the 45 pound plates at Walmart and shit that they sell. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's about the size of that heavier. Wow. Um, and he's doing good. He's pissy as always. Uh, <laughs> for anyone interested, I have a whole th- slide of stories in like pinned to the, my page where it's nothing but animals. It's all my animals, past, present, possibly future, you know, because I will never stop having pets. Okay. And he's so, in there somewhere. <laughs> so for all, all the animal lovers out there listening, they can check your Instagram page and, and, and catch up on all, all the animals. Oh, so many freaking animals. <laughs> even, even the ones that like we, we've, we've, we've just found three more. Like one's a full grown dog, two are, are puppies. They were in the canal next door and we brought them in. <laughs> it's like, damn. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if if you love animals, it's really hard to say no. Well, it also like this is kind of a popular dumping ground for pets when people don't want them because we, we live right next to a corn or like a field. Mm. And so people just like to toss toss them. And that's how I found my chupa or I didn't find them. My cousins found them and I she had mange, got her bathed up. We had her fluffy who recently passed away, was also found um lolly also passed away was recent was was found in the canal <laughs> just most of our pets were found wow okay like, all right the benavides adoption agency please don't <laughs> leave them at our place I, and I, i've got co-workers that are like michael where you live so i can just drop them off at your place like no fuck you go away <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the no guilt drop off you can get rid of your pets but you know that they're going to be taken care of <laughs> yeah 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 it's like no 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 like hey i don't need my co-workers to know where i live y'all ain't coming to get me when i want off and b <laughs> y'all ain't dropping your pets like that ain't gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> okay so we we touched on it a little bit but i i want to fully switch gears here and and talk more in depth about your writing because a few months ago i had the opportunity to read your short story collection as the shadows grow and what i find especially unique about this book was that even though the 16 stories can be read as standalones they are set within or at least near to the city capitalized the city which is yeah yeah ever present and casts its shadow over every character every circumstance so was this something that you planned before writing these stories or did it just kind of happen that way in, in terms of the the city looming large throughout it um well it was it's present in when angels fails the first one okay um and, but it was only in one story, I believe, at that time. And But, like, I've always had this idea because, like, I, I want to write about home. But I have two homes now. I live in Donna, Texas, and I've lived in Renville, Minnesota. And those are two completely different worlds. Hmm. And I think I was reading Transmetropolitan, the comic, at, like, as a teenager. And they had, like, where that takes place in, that's like futuristic sci-fi pop world. 
it's I think it's the city or it's something. And I like, oh, you know what? I can do that. Nameless out of the world. And then they, you know, as a writer goes, you sit with that idea. And before you know it, even though it's not written down or planned, you have ideas of what this city is. Little by little, you just add more lore to it, you take it away. And since I suck at planning and I suck at like keeping track of details that I put in my own stories, it's like, you know what? Let's make the, the city twisting. It's always, it's a maze. It's a hedge maze. Mm. No, there will be no details whatsoever. Like shops, sure. Locations, sure. But where will it be? I don't know. And neither will anyone else. And so that's been my workaround with that. Like it'll work according to the plot because the city is the plot now. Okay. Yeah, that's. That's sort of like the Price Manor series. I need to get my hands on that one for sure. Yeah, it's it's been on my way in my shopping cart for a while now. Yeah, well, I don't know if you've been seeing the news, but there's about to be some. Uh, the, the series will be rebranded and re-released yes. and have some new covers, and and so maybe maybe wait on that. But well, when I saw when I was about to buy them, when I saw that was happening, I was like. I'm going to take my finger off the button here and, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to wait my turn wait until like I have two or three books in line and I'll buy them then. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But as essentially, you know, the, the point there is that all of the novellas within that series are standalones. They can be read by themselves and each one is written by a different author, but Price Manor is the shadow that looms and and all the stories take place within price manor but it is a a haunted house essentially that can move through both space and time so it shows up at different times in history it looks different and then on the inside it's always shifting it's always changing but there are just a few key things there are a few pieces of furniture there are maybe a few ghosts um, that that are the same and and do appear so that's sort of the piece that ties them together And, and that's sort of like you know what what you did in your collection that the city is mentioned and whether these stories are taking place within the city or on the outskirts of the city it's there it's mentioned maybe there are a few callbacks but you can still read them as standalones and and it fits just as well and and that's that's cool i really i i like that sort of concept because from a reader perspective it's fun because you don't have to maybe fully keep up with all those details. But if you are the right. kind of person who does, you get those little Easter eggs. But then from a business perspective, <laughs> you know, you can, there's sort of a, a, a jump in point anywhere. It doesn't yeah. have to be at a certain, this certain book or this certain story or anything like that. So as you go, and if you continue to expand upon the city and maybe have different novels or different short stories that are in different collections or whatever, it's like somebody can pick up any of those and then be led back and then find this whole world that they can go out and buy the book and continue the story. I mean, and as you were saying, that, I remembered one of the like two big pieces of inspiration, Stephen King with his Dark Tower references in every fucking thing, which mm-hmm. I loved. I devoured the Dark Tower series. I read nothing but Stephen King for about a good year, just like catching all of the, the Dark Tower things in sequence. And then Clive Barker's Books of Blood, where he begins the first book with 
a book of blood and which is like kind of like it's it's it sets off that that story in <clears throat> or so it sets off that collection in motion like this is the basis of it this is why we're calling it this and now now you know where all these stories are coming from now enjoy so i kind of wanted to do a mention of both i wanted you all to know where the city's coming from but also here's little sprinkles of things just because in my head like all the stories are meshed together like i don't i don't plot i don't have anything like that but when something happens it's like oh but this would be a good time to bring out this asshole that i wrote about and put him in this predicament mm. no one will know but it'll feel good for me to have him die because i know he lived and i didn't like that <laughs> you know so it's one of those things where it's like it's just always working in my head where they're always separate but they're always tangled together and i can't help but do it I yeah. am a slave to the stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind of happens, right? <laughs> we, we are all books of blood. <laughs> I mean, I love that quote. I was going to get that quote on me. Um, everywhere we're opened, um, we're read. Hmm. Everyone's, a books of, everyone's a book of blood. Wherever we're open, we're read. And I was like, oh, I want to get that. It's like, no, it's too gory. You're going to be a stepfather. It's like, fine. <laughs> like, I'll get another Barker quote then. Think of the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, just you wait. I'm going to get a satanic symbol on my chest and no one's going to say anything about it. I'm broke, <laughs> though, so I don't. But, you know, it's like, yeah. no one leaves the rebel stage. Tell me yeah. no and I'm going to go push that button. <laughs> Many of the the stories in this collection, they, they just, they felt very personal. For instance. Yes. These lines from the story entitled uh, The City, they really stuck out to me. You wrote, too much time trying to redeem myself in the countryside. While the small farm was a life of simplicity and peace, the silhouette of the city always shimmered in the distance, seeming to gloat its presence in my life. A cruel shadow, refusing to be forgotten. It tempted me back every moment that it could. Now, I know that you live on a small plot of land currently there in Texas. Was any of this story drawn from your real life experience? Um, I think that one kind of was because when I wrote that one, I lived in Minnesota. Okay. And I hated te- Donna. I hated, I hated the town I used to live in. But I never didn't want to leave because, you know, when you're a teenager, you find any reason to be an asshole about it. Um, so when I found out we were leaving to um, to Minnesota, I, I was mad, you know, on a temporary basis, air quotes, heavy on that because we never left. But for the better, because if I, if I had stayed, I probably would not be where I am today. But as, as I started looking back on it and I would never admit it out loud. So I wrote I put it in writing that I, you know, I hated I hated the where I used to live. I hated the valley. I hated all that place because of the areas I used to be in. Being here now, I can't tell if things have calmed down or it's just because I'm no longer associated with anyone that I used to be. Mm. But um, back when I used to hang out with friends that were from the valley, you know, school and everything, it was a horrible place. And I hated it. I hated half the people. Um, I think I wrote it in my author's note, just how I how alone I felt. Um, being here and so it's one of those things where it's like as i was writing that story i was like oh yeah that's how i feel about donna that's how i feel about the valley the texas kind of thing and i don't think i did it on purpose but it was one of those things because it it was written like way back when and i just rewrote it for this anthology 
with the permission of Oak Anderson. So like when I was rewriting, it's like, oh, this feels very much like um, I knew something that I was never going to admit out loud. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that that happens like your your subconscious bleeds out on the page and sometimes yeah. you don't you don't realize it until way after the fact yeah i mean half the stories and as the shadows grow like it like i when i went when editing was a bitch and it was one of the reasons why i hired someone to do it because i just could not stay unbiased mm. like it was just one of those things where it's like i don't like that line but it's true but i don't like that line like yeah but it's true <laughs> but, you know what i'm just gonna like I had heard him up about Mona. I had read her book. It's like, can you please edit my book? Pretty please. <laughs> because I can't do this. Yeah. Sometimes when, when the writing is very personal, you have to have that outside voice, that other person, because as much as we can try to step back from it, and and be you know removed when it's that personal we can't we can't because it is it's you know it's like what clive barker is alluding to like we are we have written this with a special kind of ink but that ink is our own blood and you can't let that go even if you know, if you're the the blood on the page, maybe it turns a different color. It gets more brown. It it uh, the the smell fades. Whatever the thing might be, that's still your blood. Your DNA is still within it, and and our DNA it does it. It's in our writing, and there's no way that we can fully remove ourselves from that space. Yeah, and especially because like. But my first intention was just to write something because I hadn't written anything in that relationship. I wasn't able to write anything that I was happy with. Mm. Um, so as I was writing and everything and I would come back to it, it was just like, I don't like any of this. It's not what I used to write. It's much more because I used to be more visceral, more angry. So like a lot, a lot of it was like, oh, it was a slasher film kind of thing. So it was very different. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about any of this. And then these characters look are kind of dicks and I don't like any of them. And then that realization came upon me. It's like, oh, I think I'm a dick. I don't like me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where this is coming from. Mm. And then, and from there, like once you realize that you, you just can't unsee it and you can't separate yourself from it. So it just becomes all the harder to even look at it with unbiased um, view. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's it's good to get to that place because then like like you were saying, you can you can bring somebody else in and, and get yeah. some honest opinion. Also, I can't I am a comma whore. I love commas. No, love, me too. <laughs> and like I think ha- every time an editor's come back to me, it's like, we don't need this one, we can get rid of this one. I'm like, but I loved it. It loved me. Don't take it away. And you know, so it's like I need that editor for the grammatical stuff. It's like I just I have no self-control for it. Yeah, just a few weeks ago, I was I was talking about that with uh, Kelly Brocklehurst and and Spencer <laughs> Hamilton about how much I use commas and overuse them. And you know, Spencer comes in from from the editor side of things, <laughs> and it's yeah. just like it's better to overuse them than to not use them when you should. <laughs> well, so the funny thing is, um, when I first published When Angels Fails. It was, I edited it myself. So you know how bad it was. Mm. 
And the big thing I got was this guy does not know how to use commas. He does not. He overuses periods because I was trying to be dramatic with the pauses. Gotcha, like yeah. The hand, the cry, you know, all that stuff. And when I look back on it, when I went to rewrite it, I was like, oh, God, yeah, they were they weren't kidding. So I think I overcompensated where I was just like, comma here, comma here, comma here. Fuck a run on <laughs> sentence. This is the whole page. Commas, commas, commas. You know, it's like just to overcompensate from the first critiques I've ever got. Yeah. Yeah. When I wrote my debut novel, The Window, there is a lot of there are a lot of periods there, too. Like I was trying to be like short and snappy. And yeah. As as I've gone on, I realized that I do less of that. It still comes through. But I do less of it, and now I'm just like, just throwing out <laughs> yeah, yeah. commas like candy. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, and, and I've embraced it now. Is and it's funny because I think it's one of those things where a we grow as an author, but we don't always grow in the right direction, you know. So we, sometimes <laughs> we we do need that editor to come like push us, like rein us in a little bit. Well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah you've got a way with words and, and visuals. We've, we've, we've talked about that a little bit already here, but they, they do, they, they remind me of the type of things that Clive Barker writes. And in, in your story entitled tourniquet, you wrote this line guilt clung to his bloodied toes, Peter Pan's shadow fastened to his soul's, with glass shards and it's grisly imagery yet there's a depth of meaning there which spurred me to do some pondering as as the reader <laughs> there and so i want to ask you do you wish to merely entertain people with your writing or are you also hoping to get people to do some thinking and maybe even some introspection I think when I wrote, at, at least when I wrote As the Shadows Grow, I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just thinking about writing a story mm. uh, and then hope people like it. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I think I've grown to the point where it's like, I want people to question things. I want them to ask me questions. I want, I invite people to ask me about what stories are about publicly, publicly DMs. It doesn't matter. I want them to come to me if they have any questions. And I think it's a lot of that is because of knowing how deep my current stuff is even now where like the novels I'm writing are about different traumas I've suffered through. It's like, I, I can't separate that. And I want people to come like, I want to, Hey, I want to give some imagery that like Barker would be like, I love this bitch. <laughs> and then I also want people to come like, Oh, this had me like think, cause you know, it's an ego boost, but also when at the, as the story as a whole, I want them to look at it and be like, Oh, that had me thinking. Because I think the more you can think, the, the more you have people think about trauma, the less it's, um, the less easy it becomes for the people to avoid that type of truth. Because yeah. there's always people that are trying to like, oh, that's, that's not true. That's not like real, like it's in your head or, or some like bullshit, you know, um, ignorant bullshit. And so like, if the more I can like have it spilled out perfectly, be it an allegory, metaphors, whatever, like, I feel like the easier it'll be for them to latch onto it and think more on it. Yeah, that's that's good, because, I mean, really, it, it goes back to what you were you, what you mentioned earlier, that when you 
read someone like Barker, that it gets you thinking and it maybe slows down the reading a, a bit, but it gets your 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 gears and your mind working a lot more as opposed to maybe when you're reading some some other author that is more pulpy, just fun, just entertaining. And and there's there's definitely a place for that. Oh, and, yeah. And and I think I, for me personally, I like to switch back and forth. Um, but it's I, I know that for me, I, I relate to you in that when somebody reaches out to me or somebody leaves a certain review or, or a comment and they say something along the lines of this really made me think or this made me realize something about myself or my own experience or past trauma or whatever the thing might be, or it, it gave me some empathy and that that makes me feel really good. And I, I, one of the greatest compliments I ever got in a review was somebody said, this person is clearly an empath, this author, this writer, and it comes through in the story. And I was just, I, I felt seen, you know, yeah. like I felt heard because I am. And because empathy is, is so important to me. And at the same time, I realized that there is a lot of lack of that in the world today. I want to share empathy with others. I want maybe someone who hasn't given empathy or even thought about empathy or viewed it as a positive thing. If they can read my writing and walk away feeling empathy or 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 seeing the importance of it, that I, I feel like my my mission has been accomplished. And not to mention, writing's a very lonely job. We're doing this by ourselves. We're like alone in in our office or writing corner, just typing away, writing away, and we don't often have input until after things are done. Yeah. And so once you get people being like, "I related to this," it's like, "Oh, thank God," because I wrote this all on my own. You know, there's no one there to guide me other than the characters that in my head. And, you know, editors and there's beta readers and stuff like that, but they can only guide the story so much because we already had it planned out. Yeah. Which at most are helping us change minor details so things fit better. So like to know that we're not alone in these things that we thought we might be feeling by ourselves just for however long it took us to write mm. is just fantastic. And the only reason I latched onto Barker so much was because that's how my style like naturally was even as a kid, like I was more concerned with the details of the gruesome death than I was about the story. Um, so when I read stuff like Stephen King, I get the same feelings. It's just my style doesn't translate to his style of um, writing as either. So like I quickly latched on to Barker when I found that, Oh shit, this guy writes like I want to write. Like I wish I could write like Stephen King. I love the short punchy stuff. Um, and then like, you know, he, it's short punchy. And then all of a sudden you have like a, um, a hell of a quote in there. And it's like, oh, damn, you can do this. You just don't give it to us all the time. So we want it more. It's like, I wish I could write like that. But my writing style is just, I don't, I don't have the patience to, it's like, no, 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 I got, I can't just have dialogue. I got to have like, I got to show them what they're doing in between all of that. Mm. It's like, yeah, but you, uh, you know, you are the only one that can write michael benavidez stories and yeah. and that is the thing that we have we as authors we have the people that we respect and admire and look up to but at the end of the day i don't want to be 
Thomas Gloom trying to yeah. write as Stephen King. You don't want to be Michael Benavides trying to write as Clive Barker. The the influences are there and they're going to come through. But, you know, there is only one person that can write a, a Gloom story. There is only one person that can write a Benavides story or or a Newland story or a Goodwin story or a Stewart yeah. story, whoever we're talking about. And, and that's that's important. Knowing Knowing who we admire, knowing who our inspiration is, but still letting our voice come through loudest as we write. And I think that's one of the things that like why I love reading indie so much is because the personal voices are so much there. Um, I don't often go out into the mainstream book world anymore because it feels like they're trying to write like other people. Like they mm. like half the time, it just feels like clones of whatever popular authors in that genre. And I don't. I don't like it. Like, it's, there's just something hollow about it. But when you get indie authors, when you get like, I got a whole shelf of people who I just absolutely adore. And it's because their voices shine through. Like they are constantly writing stories that only they could tell from their experiences. Mm. And like, so me, like, you know, I, I will not say no to a Barker styled, like, you know, at payment, you know, notoriety, movies. I won't say no to it. But I am trying to write only stuff that I could write, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And that's important. That's important. And, and I think you've done it because, like I said, that it, it's clear that you admire and are, are inspired by Barker. But I don't feel like, you know, when, when I read this book, I don't feel like I just read a bunch of stories where you were trying to be like Barker. Oh, just wait till when Angels Fails comes out. That that was me trying to be Barker <laughs> and Stephen King. And I try I try to clean it up as best as I could, but there's st- it's still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I mean that that happens, man. Yeah. When any any writer, when they are early in their career, we we have to find our voice and it, it can take some time. But sometimes I, I think that there is some value in trying to replicate someone else's voice. Because it'll get us to the point quicker of, yeah, no, ah, fuck, ah, shit. I I can't write as good as Barker. I can't write as good as King, but maybe I can, you know, write as myself and that will be good in its own way. I just got to build toward it. And that's kind of why I took When Angels Fails off the market for right now. So I could go back and edit it, but like edit it more like proper editor, not me editing and just give it a proper cover, give it a proper chance at being it. While still keeping the fact that, like, I was young. This was my very first book at 21, where mm-hmm. half the stories were written at 17. And mostly because I was an edgy-ass teenager. And just try to, like, give that, so more for me. More so I can have it on my shelf, because I am proud of it. It was my first try. Yeah. And then as the shadows grow and everything I've done since then will be a representation of who I am now. And yeah. I, I just want to give it that fair shot of, like, Look, read it, hate it, love it, but that, that's not who I am anymore. This is who I am now. And I want people to see the progression that I've taken. Like as a person, as a writer, a storyteller, like the morals in there and just everything in general. Yes. Yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I want my bibliography to sort of be a time capsule of who I was as a person and and maybe even a glimpse into the history of the time when I was writing it. 
And, and so I don't want, I don't want someone to be able to pick up my debut novel and then pick up a novel from five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, and not see any progression, hear the same voice. You know, I'm a big believer that, that we as humans, we should always be growing. We should always be progressing. We should always be changing. And that once again, if we're writing truly from, from our hearts, from our souls, that should be seen in our writing. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I love reading Stephen King and Rice, like these big authors with like huge like bibliographies, mm. because you can tell this is this is baby Stephen King. This is co-kid Stephen King. This is accident Stephen King, more co-kid and now elderly Stephen King. And it's just a very nice like you get to see the growth and evolution. Same with Anne Rice, where she found God. She like renounced God, you know, like you see it in the stories and it reflects. And that's kind of what inspired me to like, you know what? I'm just going to keep writing it. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I call it the bastard cut because I've made jokes that it's my little bastard. But, you know, because, you know, as a firstborn son, I know that when you don't always know what you're doing <laughs> with that first one, but yeah. I do want to give it the chance. And so that's kind of what inspired me to do that. Seeing how these other authors have grown and are constantly growing. Barker started off horror. And now he's doing whatever the fuck he wants with tinges of horror in there. But like, it's just so amazing to like read them back to back to back and see them like the changes in the perspective and the, and the style and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely cool. Over a year ago, close to a year and a half ago, I read Haley Newland's novel, Take Your Turn, Teddy, which... Yes. I then eventually had the honor to narrate for the for the audiobook. But one of the biggest things that stuck out in that novel to me was the author's note. It was just it was so raw and so real. And it really just it it spoke to me. And I never skip author's notes. And in in this book, and as Shadow <laughs> You, my friend, um, you wrote this author's note that I believe is is worth the price of admission. And, and what you shared there is is honest and genuine and vulnerable. And so since this episode, this interview's topic is revisiting trauma through stories, I feel it's only fitting that I read this following snippet from your author's oh. note. <laughs> Near the end of it, you wrote, right. you wrote this. Crying is okay. Asking for help is okay. You're not alone. You're never alone. There is always help to be had somewhere, somehow. And so, Michael, I, I just want to applaud you for giving folks this permission, because in a world where we are often told the opposite of what you wrote, making these sorts of statements is, I believe, important. And did did you have any doubts yourself about bearing your soul so openly in this author's note? Um, I think I wrote that author's note mostly for me at first, because mm -hmm. like I wrote it with no authorly flourishes or anything. I, I wrote it the way I speak now, the way like because the way I speak it, I always call it um, false advertisement because the way I speak as a normal person in, in Instagram or on these things is that versus how I write, you know, versus how I write and everything, it's completely different. And so I wanted that disconnect was just, I was just in that moment where I had finished that final story 
And I was done. I was, I had taken out so much of me that I just wrote it. Like I just needed to write out what I felt and why I had written these books. I don't even think I had the intention of publishing it with the book. It was mm. just something I, I did. Yeah. And then I don't know why I decided to post it or like publish it with it, but I did. And that's kind of what came out. Cause you know, I went, went through all those stories and the winter woes, the, um, the, the neckbeard one I was I was on the verge of becoming an incel you know I was an addict I had loved and I'd lost and I had done all this stuff so I felt really empty and I needed a reason to not feel like to help fill me up with gas again and I think that's what that author's note was for was to remind me that I've been through a lot um, I can cry and I'll be okay yeah it was it was really good, man. I, I appreciated it. And, and it was, like you said, it was the, the tone and just the, the verbiage. It was very different from your stories because your, your stories are, there's a lot of prose there and there's a lot of description there and, and a lot of storytelling, but in your author's note, it did it. It felt like just sort of having a conversation with you. It felt like we were sitting in a room and, and we were just sort of shooting the shit and and you were just being vulnerable you were being honest you were being real and i vibed with a lot of that and like i said it reminded me a lot of of haley newland's author note and take your turn teddy which i i also love and adore and you know right. i narrated it for the audiobook but then i also you know got her permission to share just the author's note me narrating it as the the bonus uh, a, a bonus episode of into the gloom um I look forward to your future writings, but I also hope that you continue to throw in author's notes, whether it's at the beginning or, or the end, like Haley, she put hers at the beginning, you put yours at the end. But I, I think that oftentimes maybe it depends upon the work, but I feel like in this case, yours was a good bookend at the end part of it. And yeah, that one I did think about doing. That one was, a, um, I, I put a lot of consideration into it. And it was because I wanted people to read the stories unbiased. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted them to know, like, to get what they wanted to get out of it, like, especially on between the two Winter Woe stories, which were very much me um, and the relationship I suffered through, or we suffered through, because it was I was just as guilty and everything. So it was one of those things where it's like, you know what, I want people to get their own idea. And then I'm going to come in and say why I wrote all this. Cause like there's stories in there that are, that really are just me talking about me talking to me. Um, like the, uh, his heart on my sleeve. That one, that one was me straight all the way through. Like, so that, that was just one of those things where it's like, I needed, I felt like I needed people to know just how real it was. Like, these aren't just stories to tell. Yeah. Um, but also I, I didn't want them to be like, oh, okay, um, that was a cool collection. Probably meant nothing. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I need you all to know why. And I think that's why I included it, I think, now that I think back on it. But also that's why I put it at the end. Like, that one was for sure something I, I struggled with. Yeah. Well, it, it goes back to the theme that we talked about at the beginning of this interview, I guess, with you going into certain movies not wanting those preconceived notions, not wanting to watch all the trailers and read all the reviews ahead of time, wanting to go in yeah. blind. 
And you gave readers the opportunity to do that. Now, you know, I mean, there are monsters that exist. And so maybe somebody picks it up and reads it, at, goes and reads that first, even though it's at the end. Uh, but, you, you know, <laughs> I you mean, can't I think I called that. them out. <laughs> yeah, I think I even <laughs> called them out if like, why are you reading this? So it's like, <laughs> I, I, I thought of it. I knew I knew there's people that would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe in and your your next release if you put an author's note at the end like start it by saying if you are one of those monsters that are reading it before <laughs> you read the the other stuff turn back or i will find you <laughs> well yeah and i know there's a book smoke and mirrors by neil gaiman gaiman however you pronounce it mm-hmm. and um it's a short story collection but he has an introduction and in it he sneaks in a short story he wrote and you won't know he wrote it until unless you read the introduction. So I've been I've been thinking like I should do something stupid like that, like have uh, it like just just fuck with people. It's like oh you know there's more than fifteen stories, right? It's like oh you don't well too bad. <laughs> like you're one of the monsters that don't read them. You're one of the monsters that reads them too soon. Like <laughs> monsters everywhere. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Okay, before we move away from talking about your writing, I I just want to know. If, if you are willing to share or in, in a position to share, maybe what what are you working on or what can we expect maybe from you next or soon, whether it's short stories being published in, in an anthology or whether, you know, you, you mentioned some some novels you're working on. Are you willing to share with us anything? Yeah. So, like, I mean, I know, like, what as as it is, I only have one um one short one one collection out plus like two stories and short uh, and two anthologies um well three coming out um october oh crap i forgot the october, october 4th stories. october 4th there we go from yeah Marcus oh my, yeah my we're, my great boo we're finally <laughs> going to be uh table of contents buddies yeah yeah i mean i saw the table of contents like i know them i know them i know them <laughs> like, it, it was it was great i loved it i love seeing that stuff I get so much more giddy about being alongside fellow writers who I admire and who I can call friends. And I think that does more for me than anything else. So I'll be in that anthology. I'm heading up a, an anthology possibly for someone else, okay. for a writing group I'm part of. And I'm using, I'm kind of being selfish. I'm using that as a way to practice um, for some future anthologies, ideas I want to do regarding my city. <clears throat> mm. Okay. Um, and then I, I'm working on some two novels, which have been, I think I mentioned this like way before we recorded, I've been working on it for five years and every single time I started it, I've got like halfway through and it's gotten wet because I, I read everything longhand. Yay me. I, so it's gotten wet. It's gotten torn up by children. It's gotten eaten by a dog. It's gotten, it's, it's been through hell and back. And I think I even lost the pen drive that it was on. So I'm restarting all that. And then somehow along the way, it linked up to another novel I had an idea for. So God, I'm so fucked with projects. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm so part of so many projects, plus a collaboration with some fellow artists. And but all of them are just kind of um, waiting through because I'm so particular about my writing that like I want everything to be top notch before I even think about publishing it. Mm. And that's kind of why it's taking me forever to come out with anything else. <laughs> All right. So there's there's more coming. People will just have to wait. But in the meantime, October 4th, there is an anthology coming out, Halloween themed, entitled October Blood. 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, they can read your story. They can read my story. What? Re- refresh my memory. What is the the title of your story? Because it's batshit oh, crazy. <laughs> crescendo uh, on blood moans and sex cries or, or, or reverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was so hesitant about that one because Marcus had put in thing like, I don't want anything too sexual or stuff like that. And then halfway through, I was writing the story and I was like, oh, you know what? I better check what his guidelines were again. <laughs> and then I went and looked. It's like, okay, I'm going to get, get my white out. I'm just going to start removing some things. So, yeah, it got pretty crazy in that one. I think that's it's a new style I tried out. Okay. Well, that that title <laughs> is definitely a hook in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting my my author copy and, and oh god yes reading like, it. I can't wait to put it on my shelf and everything. Yeah, I gotta get a shelf to put my stuff on and then and then put it on there. Yeah, by the time this episode comes out, so I'm I'm my goal is to release this episode on the thirtieth. So by that point, okay, it'll be a, a few days before <laughs> before that anthology drops. Oh, it's a perfect advertisement then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, so it has now come time for me to take you to a place that I take all of my guests. And that place is called the Carpenter's Shed. And so I, I want to ask you, Michael, what is your favorite John Carpenter movie? Okay, I, I don't think I don't remember if anyone said this one, but I love it. In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, I I don't think anybody has. I've, I, I, re, I, that was the late discovery because I, you know, I've seen all the, yeah. the his popular ones, but in the, when I saw in the, in the mouth of madness, I was like, this is why you need to give this man a budget. Mm. Cause like he's got so many good ideas and sometimes he just doesn't have the budget to pull them through. But that one, that one was just so fun. Very Stephen King esque. And I love the cosmic shit. Um, so yeah. 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 And he doesn't, um, Carpenter doesn't always get big name actors. Um, he has in the past, and he's also had people that later on afterwards became yeah. big name actors. But in this one, you know, he had this is mid nineties, right? Sam Neill. Yeah, oh, uh, I, I love his acting. And, and then his band was doing a Metallica ripoff for the for the begin for the intro, which I love. I call it a ripoff, but it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it is. It's one of it's one of his movies that I feel doesn't get. A whole lot of love but it is definitely even even with the big budget the or the larger budget yeah it's so carpenter it's so carpenter <laughs> and, I, and I, I think because it, it kind of does the way what thing does where it's a slow burn before mm-hmm. all of the cre- creepy machination stuff comes out yeah but it's just so like you got sam neil who's kind of a twat and i love him for it yeah and and then like it's got a lot of creepy scenes like the, that kid on that bicycle in the dark. Mm. And then you see him again with the, that old grumpy man mask. that like, reminded me of um, Goosebumps, the second one. It's like, yeah. oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So you said <laughs> it was a later one that you watched. So you, you'd watched a lot of the other, the, the, the big name Carpenter films yeah. that you came to this. Yeah, because I, I think had I not seen that one, I would have said Big Trouble in Little China. But I think I saw it because that was a me and my dad movie. We would sit down and watch it all the time. And I, I just love it. But then I think I saw this one when I was like 17, 20, give okay. or take. Because that, that was when like, I, oh, I got money. I can spend money to watch uh, watch movies on Amazon and whatnot. 
um because i hadn't discovered pirating yet not not that i would i'm just saying <laughs> um, if if you did then <laughs> if i did yeah yeah so i was i was using amazon and I was like oh what's this one oh it's at jurassic park guy okay i know him okay. and i started watching it again went, went in blank didn't know anything about it and it was one of the best times i've had just watching how all that unfolded yeah okay yeah i same in terms of watching this much later on um and it was it it had to grow on me the first time i watched it like like you said it's a little bit of a slow burn which is okay <laughs> because i i love halloween i feel like halloween is definitely a slow burn you, you know they're they're just oh definitely stuff. um but you know then when i went back and i i read it or i watched it the second time it really you know, it cemented itself. And and like you mentioned, Sam Neill, his acting, I mean, he, he acts his ass off in this movie. Yeah. And, and he's someone that you just love to hate, you know? And sometimes those books, those movies are, are good. You love, you love to hate someone and then the bad shit starts happening and, yeah. and you hate them. But at the same time, they're going through so much hell that you can't help, but feel for them a little bit. And <laughs> But at the same time, you still kind of want them to die and you want to know how they die. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then oh. the, you know, the Carpenter soundtrack, I mean, the- Oh, that, that Metallica riff that they did at the beginning. Like that was just so fun. I actually thought it was Metallica for a bit. And then I looked up the trivia fact because I love doing that shit. And it's like, no, I think I think that was Carpenter's band. I think. But I think what helped me love it the first time around was that I was this was deep when I was doing that year long read of Stephen King books. Okay. And this felt like a, a live action Stephen King story if a live action King story was to be done. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that for sure. Just just the right amount of of scares and camp and yeah asshole characters <laughs> like between this one and Rose Red like those are the best Stephen King adaptations and this one's not even Stephen King <clears throat> a lot of references to him but not like right. <laughs> but not him yeah okay then allow me now to take you by the hand we're gonna leave the carpenter's shed and enter the King's Corner. What is your favorite Stephen King book? And also, what is your least favorite King book? Okay, so my favorite, it's split up in two because like there are two types of King. There's like the Green Mile King where mm-hmm. he writes like actual stories. And then there's like campy horror King. Desperation and Hearts in Atlantis are my two favorites okay. of Stephen King. <clears throat> Just because I like speaking of the emotions that one feels, I think Hearts in Atlantis does that so well. Yes. And then also coming from a, a, a like where I've seen nothing but fields, desperation hits really good. <laughs> it's like desperation really feels. Also, I saw the Ron Perlman miniseries. So I just had him in my head when, when I was reading it, okay. which was just the perfect for the bad guy. I forget the name there. I, I haven't read every King book. There are still about 20 of them I need to read. And I haven't read desperation or what's the other one that goes with it. Um, regulators yeah regulators that one much i didn't hate it but i didn't like it (laughs) and didn't didn't with those didn't uh, he he published one as king and one as bachman yeah it was supposed to be the the last bachman book i think okay okay yeah i you know i have them on my shelf but i just i haven't read those yet but hearts in atlantis i have read that one and i've i've read it 
and then I've listened to the audiobook and yeah, there's just there's so much heart in that one and I feel like King has a he he has a way with history that he just he yeah. can tell history in a certain way and it 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 feels as if when he goes back to that time anything relating to the time period of the Vietnam War he really has a lot to say on 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 that and and every aspect of it whether it's the war itself whether what was happening here in in the US with with the government whether it was just the what what was going on in the states and in terms of what life was like and mm. it, it was just yeah it was really good and and the he he also has a way with giving you those snapshots of different time periods you know i mean it's like it with the back and forth between yeah. the, the, them as kids them as adults and he does a lot of that with with hearts in atlantis and and heart is in the title and there is so much heart in that book yeah, because Stephen King's in its element here. I think we were making fun of him, or I think we were uh, making fun of him for like his modern dialogue and his modern books. And it just doesn't, it doesn't always work. But here he's in its element. This is the the time that he lived through. And it's a collection. I think what I, what like suckered me into it even more was the fact that it's a collection of short stories that he made fit into one person's life. And you're not even getting the same person's story all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, this this is a guy who's lived through these moments. And even though like I think um, Low Men in Yellow Coats is probably the most Stephen King of them all. Yeah. Like the other ones, like re- I think really shine just how fantastic he can be when he's actually in his element, the time period, the the stories he wants to tell, the college war. Like you pick up a lot of what Stephen King is in that book, I think. Yeah, for sure. And the the college stuff and the love story stuff, it it reminds me of another book of his that is one of my favorites. And <laughs> I'm blanking on the title. Oh, Joyland. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. There, I, I there are a lot of similarities in in those stories. But yeah, it's he's great. He's great with writing kids obviously yeah but then I, I think that he doesn't lose too much as he gets a little bit older you know into people's late teens into their 20s that college time that sort of you're viewing the world in a different way and you have to start planning like what is my life what is my career what am i going to look like going forward is that existential dread of am i going to go to war am i going to get sucked into this card game or am i going to pass college and i think yeah. one of the things that he does well is everyone remains a child they just grow up and he always keeps that kind of like that child portion because I'm re-listening to the audiobook of it. And I've, I've just reached that portion where it's talking about the adults um, portion. And yeah, they're, they're still children at heart. Like yeah. they've suffered through a lot, but they're still the same kids. They just have lived more. And yeah. I think he does very well at keeping that going. Like they never lose that kid innocence or, you know, the opposite where they're horrible, horrible douchebags. Like they keep that. And yeah. it's one of the best things to read about when King's in doing. Yeah. Cause people aren't always honest about that, but I think that it's, it's the truth. All of us can remember when we were kids, when we were little kids 
thinking about our parents or thinking about adults that were maybe at the time just like in their 30s. And we viewed them as having all the answers, having everything figured out, everything is is, is scheduled and, and planned and together. But then we get to that point when we're in our late 20s, we're in our early 30s, <laughs> yeah. even, you know, when older than that. And you realize, oh, they were just faking it until they made it. And yeah. and and that's what life is. We're still like, you know, I, I know that for me, both of, both of my parents are still alive. And even though I'm in my mid thirties and I'm, I'm, I'm married and, 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 and living my life. And I've had all these experiences. There are still times where I feel like I need to reach out to mom. I need to reach out to dad and get these answers. But now I'm in a place where our relationship has changed, where they can be a little more honest. And, and I'm realizing like, oh my God, everybody in this world is just faking it. <laughs> Nobody has it figured out. Nobody has it together. <laughs> I mean, at least you got that. I, I, I'm in a group chat with my, with my family, it's like my mom, my brother, my sister. And I'll accidentally throw in a fuck in there once in a while. And automatically my mom, Anthony, no swearing. It's like, she, I'm 29. I'm 29 <laughs> years old. <laughs> you're still her little baby boy yeah and i still can't swear it's like god <laughs> fuck and, I did, and she's gonna listen to this podcast and i, I told back on a lot of my swearing because i've gotten worse <laughs> working at this hotel has been really bad influence on me sorry mom sorry mom <laughs> before we started recording this i gave him permission to swear so that you can you and can i still I, I still held back <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay so you 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 said regulators and or no desperation desperation and, and hearts and lands for favorite okay so um, let's let's talk about least favorite dreamcatcher fuck you glenn uh, dreamcatcher shit shit weasels <laughs> <laughs> okay i have history with this book though I, there's a reason why i hate it let's hear it so my ex loved the movie okay and i saw the movie and it was one of those things where it's like this is bad even by stephen king standards this is bad. Not even Langoliers was fun. This was something else. But I couldn't tell her that. She's like, you should read the book and tell me how it's different. It's like, I don't want to read the book. This movie was this movie was pretty bad. I we break up and the book's sitting there and it's like, oh, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you. I'm going to hate every second of it. And I did. I hated the shit weasels. I hated like Morgan Freeman's bushy ass eyebrows. <laughs> like I hate I hated the, the ending like. Oh. Stephen King's familiar ending, like famous bad endings, it is just oh god, there was just so much. Like it was fan service, but in the worst way. Plus, oh no, yeah, I can't. I I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, that it's that one isn't my least favorite, but it's probably in my bottom five. I would say the redemption for me comes from. I feel that he really does a good job of capturing the coldness in terms of the weather and the snow and all of that. And with the the car wreck and and all, all of that stuff is really, really good. I think I think that's what made me hate it more, though, is it is a really good written Stephen King story. Mm. It's just everything that he's writing about was just bonkers. It's like, what the fuck, King? Like what? Steve? Like, get off your pain meds. This is this is not fun. And because I feel like it would be a tie between this one and Tommy Knockers, except I don't remember because 
Tommy knockers much, but I remember reading and being like, I don't understand any of this. I was maybe 12. Yeah. Because we bought it at a flea market. I, I was the cover. I think small. I was 14 or no, I was 15 when I read it. It was it was the third King book I ever I ever read. I read Cujo, then I read Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and then I read Tommy Knockers. And <laughs> yeah, it's just it's batshit bat crazy. And he's you got a taste of it. all types of King in that in just those three books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Um, but in the Tommy knockers, you know, he's open about it now that that was he wrote that at the height of his cocaine addiction. And he doesn't remember writing it. Ha! See, I heard about that about Cujo. I didn't know what that one like. That's just <laughs> it's wild. Like, I know. I know what it's like to write a novel and I can't imagine writing a whole novel, yeah. not being able to remember any aspect of writing it. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the, the only thing I remember is that's how I learned what a woman's period was, because I think it's early on in the book. She's digging a hole and all of a sudden she feels blood. And I was like, what? I'm 12. You remember, I'm 12. Right. And anyone that's read King should know that a male should not learn a, a woman's body's functions from Stephen King. <laughs> no. that, that, that is that is not the place you should be learning your things from. Yeah, yeah. And, like she's not well, freaking out what's going on here and the thing with tommy knockers is that the the first the first bit of that book is fantastic i really i love it i love it i love it i love it um her out there digging and un- uncovering this this craft and and the stuff with the dog but then it just goes insane and we get you know i mean it's it's the typical thing typical king small town um you know you're you're, yeah. you're getting into people's houses seeing their families but it's just so fucked up and it's so just crazy and all over the place and long it just goes on and on and on and on um i do at some point i want to reread it because the thing Same. is, when I was a kid, you know, at 15, I, I was mostly like I was reading books just looking for a good time. And I yeah. had a good time with that book. But I, I feel that now if I went back and read it, I would just be like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I think I think I'm in the same place, too, because there's a lot of King books I want to go back to. And I want to like read or like in that era of King that I haven't read yet. And it's like, but do I really want to do that? Because I'm looking at it through different visions now, like. Like yeah. I got different glasses and everything. My prescriptions updated. Will these hold up? <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like, I don't want to ruin King. I love, I love that man. The man, it was my introduction to horror outside of goosebumps. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know why my parents let me read them so young, but they did. Yeah. My, my parents just didn't know my, both <laughs> of my parents are very upfront and honest about the fact that they are not readers. They are not well-read and so they never read Stephen King. I should ask my parents because, I mean, they let me collect goosebumps. Like, as you know, I, I sent you some of the, the ones that survived. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's like, I just remember going to the flea market all the time. These vendors would have books and I would just go off the covers. And I remember the Tommy Knocker cover, the Pet Cemetery cover. Hmm. And, you know, you revisit those books now and it's like a 12 year old should not be reading this. Oh, hell no. Yeah. And I think if I had Anne Rice's The Mummy, and I don't remember how sexy that one was because she's written some sexy ass books. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I had free reign, and I remember it's like, I don't think they knew. Yeah. 
Oh, the things that form us. <laughs> I'll definitely get a, get a call from my mom. So I was listening to this and we didn't know. <laughs> We've reached the end here. I've got one, one more question for you. What are three horror books or movies dealing with trauma that you would like to recommend to our listeners? So I'm I'm gonna I want to try to go off of um the indie the indie books I got here. Okay. Um, I definitely like Haley New- Newland's Take Your Turn Teddy for sure. Okay. Like, we've talked about it so much. The Fear by Spencer Hamilton's got some really good like. Yeah. You know it really. I mean, that was my first indie book I read, so it holds a special place in my heart. Cool. But also, it really does just hold a lot. And I'm going to mention two more here. It's uh, anything by Gillian Dowell, but Hello, Dove, and Natalie, Natalie, Natalie Sierra, Charlie Forever and Ever. Those two books are just, if you thought my, my books were very descriptive, Charlie Forever and Ever is just a portrait like a beautiful fucking portrait and then hello dove is just one of the most fascinating stories i've read in a long while and they all kind of touch on those different aspects of trauma and living with it right and i i I will go back and read those sometime soon because i love them that much awesome all right (laughs) listeners you've you've heard it here there are some some indie books that that focus on on trauma and if you've if you've listened to this whole episode you know what to expect so you know maybe be mindful of of trigger warnings um if if you need to connect with someone i i think that michael would be more than happy to talk with you you can always slide in and yeah i will talk yeah i'll talk your ear off so where where are the the best places for people to connect with you if they wanted to? So I'm only in one place. Um, I mean, you can find me on Goodreads, but I'm not really active there. But I'm only on Instagram. W A F Michael. W A F Michael. I keep it simple. Twitter's okay. a hellhole, and Instagram's where, the only place where I get to be goofy. So. <laughs> All right. Well. Dear listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully, this has been a an interesting, entertaining, but also beneficial and maybe hope inspiring talk. And um, you know, this is this is some tough stuff. But I, I I applaud you, Michael, for picking the topic for being willing to you know have a no holds barred conversation and and let us uh, in into your into your mind into your life into your experience and i i want to thank you for that and just thank you for coming on to this episode for entering into the gloom with me and dear listeners check out michael benavides check out his writing check out his instagram page connect with him there and yeah, don't don't let this don't let this opportunity go to waste. His DMs are always open. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Thanks, Michael, for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, man. That was fun. We hope this episode haunts your nightmares. It's been an honor to scare you. Be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram 
for news on upcoming offerings. Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on. Ha 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 ha